Okay, let's do some quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. That's obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. To reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. Here's the thing. Information is power. Information is money. Literally, the currency of today's world of of entrepreneurship is information. And if you could bring all of the, the information about your business into one dashboard, this is incredibly valuable. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of the truth about your business. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all of your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. This is so valuable. You just hit a button and you can see all the information about your business instead of having to like call five different departments and get all these emails and put it all together and make sense of it. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, see how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash james. netsuite.com slash james netsuite.com slash james sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential with capella university's game-changing flex path learning format you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. So what I want to do this podcast about is what are the real... 10 major problems. We've interviewed 500 of the smartest people in the world. Many of them have told us big major problems in society. And I kind of want to identify what are the actual problems that we've seen. And and I don't want to give an opinion on the things I don't know about. What are the things that actually seem to be real problems that have been discussed in this podcast that, that super smart people who are deeply invested in these situations have come to us with credible data and science and, and so on. Um, and there are solutions, but I don't think anyone's going to do them. And by the way, when there's solutions, that also means there's opportunities for businesses. And, you know, people make a lot of money that way. It's, it's yeah. possible to make a lot of money that way. But I like that because that seems like off the beaten path. But, you know, Reed Hoffman recently wrote something. He wrote like an editorial a few weeks ago just saying like, crazy today, obvious tomorrow, you know? Right. Are you rolling? So, Steve, this is like a uh, one of our podcasts. So, I'm I'm an optimist in general. Like, if since the beginning of history you bet against the ultimate rise in the economy, you would have lost because the economy is at the highest point ever. Yeah. Uh, like at any point in the past 200 years, every time people said, "Oh, the American economy is going to fail, capitalism is failing," if you had sh- shorted, you know, or sold against America for the long run, you would have been wrong because the, the the stock market is at all time highs, the economy is at all time highs, unemployment is at you know near all time lows, blah blah blah. I'm not saying anything political. Uh, I know I'm overly optimistic. I'm probably over op- optimistic about many issues. Like I see people on Twitter arguing about you know genetically modified foods. Of course, there's since 1960 there's been arguments about climate change and. Who knows? You sure. Know, like in 1989, 
Everybody, the scientists were saying Manhattan was going to be underwater by 2000. Okay, now it's 2019, New York's not underwater. But the pushback when I say that is that, well, technology has changed. The predictions now are more accurate. So 2040, maybe it's. But also, be what did you say the other day um, when you said something about, like, oh, if I'm doing poorly, it's. I'm mangling it, of course. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Oh, when, yeah. When, when, when your neighbor <laughs> is out of a job, it's a recession. When you're out of a job, it's a re- depression. Yes. So, so all politics are local, obviously. Like if you were a coal miner and you lost your job and right. you were pessimistic about that. But I, and, and this will occur. Well, well, yeah. well so, so what I want to do this podcast about is what are the real 10 major problems? We've interviewed 500 of the smartest people in the world. They've told us, many of them, are focused on the personal, but some of them are focused on the macro. Many of them have told us big major problems in society. And I kind of want to identify what are the actual problems that we've seen. Now, and, and I don't want to give an opinion on climate change because actually nobody has spoken to us about climate change. Uh, I don't want to give an opinion on the things I don't know about. But what are the things that actually seem to be real problems that that have been discussed in this podcast that, sure. that, that super smart people who are deeply invested in these situations have have come to us with 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 credible data and science and and so on well i mean we've had a few conversations when i say we i mean you with roger mcnamee and about you know the perils of facebook and google and these huge companies with data right so let, let me summarize yeah. that one so roger mcnamee uh, a billionaire. I didn't even know he was invested in as as far back as as Google. He's invested in Oracle, Cisco. Then he was an early investor in Facebook. He recently wrote a book, Zucked, about how kind of the the tyranny of data, all this data that's being collected. And I gave him an example where I bought a Kurt Vonnegut book yesterday afternoon, yesterday evening. Even though I have never once searched for Kurt Vonnegut, uh, as far as I can remember, at least for years. Uh, uh, on YouTube, I, I logged onto YouTube. All my usual videos that I like came up, and then dead center in the middle of that was a Kurt Vonnegut commencement speech video. So somehow, in those few hours, my credit card data had been sold into Google's system. Somehow, this I can only yeah. guess this is true because wow. I don't know how. You know, every other video was a comedian that I had watched recently, wow. and then suddenly in the middle, Kurt Vonnegut commencement speech. Well, I had never seen a Kurt Vonnegut video before. I don't even, I barely knew what he looked like. So well, I, I, of course, know what he looks like from Back to School. Where from oh, yeah, Back to School, right, with Roddy Dangerfield. Yeah. Um, but, 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 you know, the, the, the bigger issue, so Roger McNamee brought up in a recent podcast um, something I never thought of. If, the way your mouse moves, Google can track that. And so, so he's, his question was, who's going to know first if you have Parkinson's? You or Google, and then Google is under no obligation to tell you. They can actually just sell that information that you have Parkinson's to the highest wow. bidder, which would be an insurance company, and you might not even know yeah. you have Parkinson's. So, and and he said there's hundreds. He he said there's not thousands. There's hundreds of thousands of things like this that they know about you that you don't. That they could either sell to the highest bidder or use to manipulate you in some opinion or other, like the you know. They make more money from Mercedes as an advertiser, so they can influence you to buy a Mercedes over a Prius, yes. and, and so on. And, and certainly, Amazon and so does that, you right. know, so, with the so, sponsored posts and stuff like that. So, 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 data influencing us based on our cognitive biases, based on the fact that we give up data in so many different ways that are not even expected. Like Google knows how what temperature you keep your various rooms in. Alexa can hear you talk all the time. And Nest and yeah, like things like that, right. Yeah. You know, and, and he brought up something interesting. You know, Apple doesn't release data as much. And I remember one time I was doing some research for an app I was thinking of developing and a critical question I had was, can Android see what other things are on your phone and can Apple see what, uh, can the iPhone see what other things are on your phone? Can you write software to see what other uh, oh, apps wow. are on your phone? And the iPhone can't. I can't write an app that can see what other apps you have, but on the Android, I can. So it's interesting. That's a. I only thought that was a symptom of yeah. the, the application programmer interface, but it's actually a symptom of their well, policies on data. I was going to ask you a question because you know, ap- apropos of your um, feeling about stuff, and you, you know, one, I, I think it's a little simplistic to to say, you know, don't worry, be happy. 
you know, there are certain things that are concerning people, but you actually have a background on this. You have a graduate degree or tried to get a graduate degree in uh, computer science and a computer programmer. How have things changed since then? You know, we always think about this okay, ap two, apocalyptic two, future or, you know. Two things have changed. Uh, one is like programming techniques have not changed. They're the same as they were 20, 30 years ago. Uh, and this is Peter Thiel's point that there hasn't really been that many great steps in technological innovation since the 70s. But um, two things have changed. One is computers have gotten faster. So, you know, Moore's law is computers double in speed every two years. And it's been true. Computers are, a smartphone is faster than the most powerful supercomputer from like 15, 20 years ago. And so computers can crunch through data so much faster than ever before. Trillions and trillions of pieces of data, whereas it would have taken them days 20 years ago, now it takes seconds. So, so that's changed. The other thing that's changed is there is more data. When it never was the case that my credit card data would instantly go into yeah. the TV shows I would watch, you know, uh, and, yeah. and the ads I would see. And, and, you know, whether you keep your, your living room at 68 and your bedroom at 73 degrees, that data was never available for by your insurance company. Um, uh, the, your mouse movements, where your eyes are looking at the computer screen, uh, where you you where where you click, what you you know your likes, your preferences are all available to every major company in the world that's willing that has the money to pay for it. Uh, so so why is this a problem? Is maybe because, and this is came up in our podcast with Sam Harris. Maybe we don't have as much free will as we think. We all think we're rational beings, but the reality is, as Daniel Kahneman has shown with cognitive biases we are influenced by so many factors in our environment. And even knowing that there's no way to really correct for that, or it's very hard to correct for that. So, so the idea is the problem is, is that given all of your data and given a, a bad actor that wants to manipulate your behavior, uh, that can be done without your knowledge. And even with your knowledge, there's nothing you can really do about it. Well, can't, what if you go off the grid? Like a lot of people have felt, you know, Wall Street Journal had an article about how people were even simplifying to like a flip phone to like get rid sure. of the constant whizzing and whirring of that. And, sh and yeah. sh sure, but realistically, like, so you and I know all this. Yeah. And we've talked to all the, you know, yeah. not only have we talked to Roger McNamee, but in preparation for Roger yeah. McNamee, I talked to everybody ranging from CIA to advertisers who use all the Scotland data to York. Democrats to Republicans to, you know, uh, very influential people in, in, in various aspects of this space. So given everything that I know, I have a smartphone. I use Uber. I use Google. I use Facebook. I yeah. use Twitter. I use Instagram. I like things. I, uh, right. uh, you know, watch YouTube videos. Sure. I have Alexa. Uh, I have smart home. Yeah. You know, so, so I don't Apple change Pay, my behavior probably, because yeah. I like the benefits right now. But at some point, the, the, the point is, is that, It'll tilt so that the negatives far outweigh the positives of these products that I'm using. And yeah, I mean, I feel like how did 9/11 affect this? Right, it gave people more permission to be invasive. Right, they they a lot of what these companies did were under the guise of like, hey, we need to figure out what people are doing so that we're proactive. Right. So, rather so the CIA started InQtel, which is their VC fund, which funded a lot of companies that use artificial intelligence to analyze data. And, uh, uh, you know, the, you just look at the list of InQtel companies and you can see the kind of data they're, they're analyzing and, and, and you can start guessing what they're planning on using. So this is problem number one. Again, it hasn't been a problem. It maybe has been a problem that's affected our lives. We don't really know. Like, like Roger McNamee's point is it affected the 2016 election. Um, and it, it definitely affects our buying behavior. Whether that's a positive yeah. or negative, it's hard to know. It affects. It could affect you getting a job. You yeah, know? it could affect your career decisions. Yeah. It could affect. Well, uh, like if somebody knew you had Parkinson's or knew you kept searching for stuff, and you know, not even just stuff you post online, but stuff that's unbeknownst to other people that they could find out. You know, and they they've that's been happening before too. People might check your credit history before hiring you to has a sense of how reliable you are. So right. I, well, well, well yeah. also like let's let's say. Facebook knows your age and they know your likes 
and let's say you like a certain type of music and then let's say now they know you just liked a certain kind of baby stroller or you posted a picture of baby stroller. They know you have a baby. They know all your family history. Maybe people with your exact profile do X. Yeah. And and now they see me. I'm beginning to look like your profile. Let's say I I, right. I have a similar background and maybe I just had a baby. So they know based on thousands of people like you, they know a, yeah. a month from now what kind of things I'm going to be buying. They can say to the most the, the advertisers who pay the most, "Hey, James is yeah. people like James are starting a, a month from now they're going to be looking at this, so you should pay us now so we start influencing James and putting these ads in Baby front of James formula. or these articles in front of James yeah. and and, we'll, and and it'll drive up the conversion rates for Mercedes versus Kia yeah. and and Mercedes pays more than Kia, so you know Maybe I would have bought a Kia, but instead I buy a Mercedes because sure. Facebook benefits, and I don't really benefit because it's the same car. Uh, so again, it's hard. To, it it feels like there's a gray area uh, where something's wrong versus who who uh, who knows. But in general, all these things together could be well, extremely bad. I would say two things. I always liked where Maya Angelou said, "If you don't like something, change it, and if you can't change it, change your attitude." And I don't know how to do either here. <laughs> well, that's that's but essentially. Roger and you, you know, we're talking about that. Like, what can we do about this? You know, how do we, you know, like most people feel helpless and that this behemoth companies and the inevitability but, of them doing it. So he's saying we have choices. But, you know, you know talking to, you know, Robert Cialdini has been on our podcast yeah. with Influence. He, uh, he talks a lot about cognitive biases that, that influence yeah. our decisions. Sam Harris came on to talk about, you know, our loss of free will. We, we've talked to, uh, Eddie Ibanez about data and, and how the government's getting more aggressive, how they're using yeah. it, the, the government, not just advertisers. So we're being attacked from all angles. I don't know what the solution is. So I'm I'm kind of posing what are the problems we've heard where the solutions to me are unknown. So so Roger Roger McNamee's point is become an activist, start the conversation. I think that's the best we can do. Yes. Um, and then we see, you know, if there's smarter people than us who could come up with solutions. So ne next problem. I would say we've talked about it a lot. I feel I helped start the conversation as early as 2005, but now we just see the news breaking, you know, about this college admissions yes. scandal, people paying millions to get their, you know, shitty little kids into, you know, top tier schools. Uh, uh, and we've talked before on podcasts how, you know, um, co colleges, the fact that tuitions are rising faster than inflation, the fact that, uh, the government has unfairly backed student loans, you know, saddling an entire generation of kids with 1.6 trillion in debt, how this could lead to greater income inequality in society, which has been historically, uh, you know, the, the historical outcomes of that have never been positive. They've always been negative. And I hate using the word income inequality because it's almost like a, a, a socialist catchphrase, which I don't think is a solution either. Stalinism didn't work, obviously. Maoism didn't work. Uh, you know, any uh, large society that's a uh, diverse population, socialism does not seem to work at all. And even in smaller countries with a more homogenous society like Cuba, it doesn't seem to work either, or North Korea. So uh, so I'm not talking about that, but it does seem with, with rising income inequality, there are huge societal problems. There's a book, The Great Leveler by Walter Scheidel. We should maybe have him on the podcast. Okay. Um, he's looked for the past 3,000 years at every society with large income inequality. My point is a big source of the income inequality is is student loan debt and and the the way the educational system is set up. And why do I pick out that versus medical costs or other problems? Well, tuitions have ri risen faster than inflation every single year by a fact 10x faster than inflation, whereas medical costs have gone up only 3x faster than inflation. 20 million Americans are saddled with student loan debt. Most of them young Americans who would have uh, ideally started companies or, or create innovations. Now they're, they have to do other jobs to pay back their debt. And I see this as a big societal problem. I don't. I I can offer solutions, which is stop backing student loans, but most people won't agree with me. I no. I feel like that's a more soluble problem than than what we were just talking about. I I think like yes, I do think so. I think that there's. And there, there is a solution, actually. I yeah. mean, I know what the solution is, which is uh, uh, don't back student loans. Um, you want to you want to increase the supply of accredited schools while keeping the yeah. demand the same. So 
make all online universities accredited so that that it, you're not hampered in getting a job yeah. if you go to Code Academy versus Harvard. Uh, you know, maybe give financial incentives for colleges. I mean, for for corporations to look at skill yeah. acquisition versus uh, uh, degrees. So there's a variety of solutions, but I don't see society taking. But last week, I. You know, I visited this company, Pursuit, in in Queens. You know, and they have 140 kids who, 140 students who are learning to program, and they the tuition might be 45,000, but they don't pay it. They'll pay back once they get a job. Yeah, stuff and, like that's good. Or, or here's one that I like that no one's done. It is a business idea. Um, let's make an exchange where, uh, and I I hate to put it so bluntly, but human beings are what's on the exchange. Yeah. I don't mean like it almost sounds like slavery, but I'm saying like. Take ten percent of your income and put it in a black box. Yeah, and your your ten percent of future income for the next ten years, and have people bid that they want that. So if I can buy Steve Cohen's future income for the next ten years for let's say ten thousand dollars, ten percent of your income. That's about right. So, no, but that's a bargain because yes. I, I think you'll make yes. much more than that. Let's hope and, so. And so I'm I'm giving an extreme example. You you'll make yeah. you know. 20 times that, yes. more than that. Yeah, let's, uh, let's, it, sky's the limit, James. So, so, so I can take a student, and inst- a high school student, and and using data about yeah. that student, yeah. um, I can say, okay, this is the type of person where um, I can invest a little bit in 10, only 10%. You don't want to give all their, buy all yeah, their yeah. future income because then they don't have incentive. But I wow. want to buy 10% of their future income for their next 20 years, and they can use this to pay for skill acquisition, not necessarily college, but skill yeah. acquisition doesn't have to worry about things because I'm I'm already giving him some money. Yeah, and that might be another way to to create a billion dollar business and solve the problem. Well, I was gonna say a couple of things. One, so instead of pork bellies, you have like people. But I believe there was something similar on a show you were a technical advisor on in Billions, where they had took stock like these. Wealthy people were taking stock in like baseball players, and they were essentially buying an interest in them. Like, right. Yeah. And and what what's very common is in poker, uh, people that that's an industry. You people you buy you diversify and you buy lots yeah. of positions. Like I can buy ten percent in like twenty different poker players, and you know people make a lot of money that way. It's, it's yeah. possible to make a lot of money that way. And so this type of discussion can happen, and that that's interesting. But I like that because I do think a lot of people talk about like entrepreneurship and seem like. That seems like off the beaten path, but you know, Reed Hoffman recently wrote something. He wrote like an editorial a few weeks ago, just saying like crazy today, obvious tomorrow. You know, right? And the folks at Republic and other people who are doing things like that. Oh, and I've talked to Kendrick, yeah. the CEO of Republic, about this idea. Oh wow! And he does think it's possible. So look, it might be in my future, but I'm happy if anyone else does this. This is a viable idea that I personally would invest in. I don't like to just put all my eggs in one investment. I would never invest always just in the stock market. If I could uh, invest in long-term, you know, long-term investments in smart people that I believe in, I would be happy to do that. It helps their lives, it helps their careers, it 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 solves the student debt issue. It uh it it helps create another generation of entrepreneurs and innovators. Uh and you diversify. You don't put all your eggs in one basket there either, but and look, peer-to-peer lending is a form of that. This is just a little bit more aggressive than peer-to-peer lending. Or microloans, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, it's about microloans and peer-to-peer lending. Is a, yeah. a, and look, the, the, uh, Muhammad Yunus, yeah. his name, he won a Nobel Prize for yeah. coming up with that idea. Sure. Uh, this is... I'm nominating I, you. I want to go to... I think this is a little more aggressive than that. Stockholm, but, is it? Yes. <laughs> we're, we're book our tickets for 2020. Private plane to Stockholm. Um, yeah. so, but that's a, so that's problem number two. This rising in, in, income inequality called by, uh, caused by a broken education system. Um, and, and, and there are solutions, but I don't think anyone's going to do them. The first... Pro- and, and by the way, when there's solutions, that also means there's opportunities for businesses. I think with the data one... I don't know what the solution is, but there's whether whatever the solution is, there's probably an opportunity for business. So we've had on Gabriel Weinberg, the yeah. DuckDuckGo search engine, who's that's the one search engine that um, holds on to your privacy. He's based in Philadelphia. We should have him on again, particularly okay. given this Roger McNamee yeah. uh, stuff. No problem. So, so, so there are some economic opportunities. I don't have my, and maybe there's a like a a. a, a you can put your data in in a crypto format, like to keep track of where your data is going. That might be a oh, business opportunity. Yeah. So I don't know. I haven't put my head around it much. Okay, problem number three. What is what is problem number three that we've heard from from guests? Uh, let's talk about Floyd Landis and yeah. and steroids in the business in in athletics. His point is that there is no solution because 
let's say you, your your entire life, you dream of being a baseball player. You sure. played in little league, you played in high school, you played in college. Now you're in the major league, minor leagues. And now someone tells you, hey, if you really want to be a top professional yeah. baseball player, I've known you devoted the past 20 years of your life to this and you never heard this before, but guess what? You're going to have to start taking some serious drugs. <laughs> and, and, and Floyd Landis' pro, uh, point is, is that, and, and he won the Tour de France yeah. in 2006, it, Floyd, Floyd's point was, is that they're trapped. They, this is all they've done is baseball. And now they're told to really hit the income costs. levels they want yeah. and, 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 and reach the level they want. They have to take these illegal drugs. And so that's what perpetuates the system. And it's insidious. And we're not in, having the conversation with our kids about it. So once again, the first solution is having the conversation. The second solution I think is- um, But if you remember, like, I remember Alex Rodriguez, a noted steroid user. And I always, he was involved with a guy named Houdin whose son died of steroids. You know, he was like, don't do drugs. And eventually, you know, eventually it was the clothes that he himself- How did he die of it? How the kid, I think he was in high school. And I just, I know that, I believe he was in Michigan somewhere, but- Let's say Taylor Houdin, or we, you know, we'll put that in the notes. But like, essentially, he, um, I think he was abusing steroids at a young age. I don't know if he had a heart attack or something. But so, so okay, so yeah, so abusing that, these drugs is two problems, right? Yeah. One is is that sports becomes unfair. So it's the players yeah. that are are breaking the law have advantage in, over the players and teams that are are not. The other thing is is that there's side effects that are dangerous and, and that we don't fully understand yeah. them. Um, and you know, and this isn't just athletics. This is also uh, every area, because look at like kids now. Every every kid's addicted to Adderall, uh, and and that's a form of doping. The kids on yeah. Adderall literally makes you smarter. So so the kids on Adderall are scoring better on their tests than the kids not on yeah. Adderall. And it, not in every case. If you actually have ADD, Adderall doesn't make you smarter. It just makes you more you know like well, every other kid. But well, I think it comes down to, and it's ironic. You know, we're talking about that college scandal. And one of the women there, Jane Buckingham, who was a college advisor, and you know, she had on Twitter, "Don't cheat," you know. And you see that, and it's there's been a lot written about like honesty and integrity. University of Virginia has an honor system, or other places like that. And you know, I'm sure most people are like, why should I be honest? Like, okay, I'm a Tour de France, and I sit there and do it honestly, and I'm not doping my blood. I'm not taking HGH, and I'm finishing a hundredth out of you know, where I, the guy to the left and the right of me are cheating. Right. So, so. Honesty is going to be another problem, yeah. actually. But uh, I think the the solution here is get rid of the FDA, yeah, and make all these drugs legal. Because here's and and that sounds horrible, but here's what will happen: is then the conversation will happen with young kids because it's no longer considered right. um, abhorrent to do. Yeah these steroids because it'll become common knowledge that everyone is using yeah. them. So the kids will have to be able to make a decision at a young age, do I really want to pursue this as a career? But the other positive outcome is that doctors will then be allowed to research these drugs, You know, maybe make yeah. drugs that don't have the side effects or, yeah. or less harmful side effects. Kids could make better, more informed decisions. And then look, then we really see you know, again, doping in non-illegal drugs, we don't call it doping, but it happens. Like sure. people change their diet to have better performance yeah. or people, uh, you know, and they use genetically modified well, foods to change their performance or they take drugs that their doctor, well, legal drugs that are prescribed. in the 50s and 60s and they called them greenies and baseball players would be like, that's a performance enhancing Yeah, and again, drugs. Adderall is a prescribed yeah, yeah, sure. drug. Uh, there's other prescribed drugs that, that are performance enhancers, not as strong as some of these extreme steroids that athletes use, but just make all these things legal and you can have then a, a more... Uh, a, a more efficient conversation for kids when they're younger. B, you can eliminate many of the side effects. C, companies will benefit because you'll start selling, the companies will start selling more drugs that will be yeah. helping people. Maybe like with many drugs, maybe there'll be orphan uses that we that will cure yeah. diseases or, or help people deal with things like Alzheimer's or Parkinson's. You know, I'm sure many of these, you know, performance right. enhancing drugs would be performance enhancing for elderly people who have yeah. weaknesses. Just like, just like I'll take an extreme example. What was originally used for Viagra? It was, uh, was a blood thinner. Oh, oh interesting. Well, I was going to say uh, Propecia was, you know, like was really for about your like, blood and then it promoted hair growth. You right. Know? So, yeah. so, so. Not that I've been taking <laughs> So, so you have James is it? <laughs> too much. I just yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I take the chewables. Yeah, exactly. So so uh but the 
the whole the whole point about Viagra yeah. is that maybe it shouldn't be used as sure. an ED drug. I'm not saying yes or no, but uh, maybe it should be used as a blood thinner. But there's all these orphan orphan uses of of these drugs yeah. once you study them further. And uh, I don't know. I, I think it could general help the health there's of society, unintended health consequences of the economy from that. Yeah. And 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 why not? We see the limits of human performance by 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 using every means at our yeah. disposal and in seeing how fast a human can run, seeing how fast a human could could bicycle or or right. hit a ball or whatever. Uh, I I don't think it's a horrible thing if these drugs are 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 made legal, particularly if we if that leads to better understanding of the side effects and maybe curing them and so on. So that's a, that's a, another So like problem. the light, you know, if you sh if you shed light on it, then it will be an infectant, right. disinfectant. Yeah. But but the reason. But 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 here's the problem with all these things. All anytime we come up with a solution, they're not. It's not yeah. going to happen. No no yeah. government is going to say, oh sure, you know, except Russia. Yeah, exactly. No government is going to say, um, oh sure, let little kids start doping yeah. so they're better in little league. Like it's just not going to happen. Yeah. And you could say, okay, make it for eighteen and up. Okay, still, the U.S. is not going to get rid of yeah. the FDA. There's just so much money that the government makes on that. Cost you know it costs a billion dollars. Or maybe two billion now for a legitimate cancer drug to get approved oh, by yeah. the FDA. Not that the government makes all that money, but for a company that thinks they've cured cancer, if they don't have two billion dollars in the bank, they're not going to get their. No right. one is going to benefit Which from their is cancer drug. Why, why they justify the high cost? Because all that research and right, yeah. like there's Solaris. I don't know yeah. what disease it cures. It costs eighty four thousand a month or something like that. Wow, uh, I'm just guessing. I think it's about sure, that. sure. Um, but I don't know of any other. But I feel. But getting back to like original premise about optimism, you saw two people were cured of AIDS recently, and people are optimistic about Alzheimer cures or a lot right, of other but, stuff. Yeah. But AIDS has been a always a fast track disease that gets through the FDA very quickly, much more cheaply. Um, and yes, thank God now through the studies of of genes, those those AIDS cures yeah. are related to the you know. Earlier, we mentioned Moore's law, which is that computers uh, double in speed every two years. There's an equivalent law in biotech, uh, like the sequencing of the genome and so on, where biotech, I think it goes up 4x in speed every two years. Oh, wow. So that compound, so it used to cost a, a, a $10 million to sequence the genome. Now it costs $100 to sequence the wow. genome. And it's going to even get, and now we have CRISPR to, to yeah. modify genes. And and that's how AIDS is being cured is by modifying the genes that 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 fight AIDS, and and still it's not understood enough. Only two people have been cured. You have to have a special set of genes and so on. But uh, uh, again, I don't see the world suddenly saying, "Look, let's just let research run rampant on on drugs. We don't need billions of dollars to get through the FDA." I just don't, and I don't see steroids being approved because it's it's it, we've been so trained to thinking it's bad behavior. Little kids yeah, die. Sure. Uh, my argument is less kids will die if if they start taking them legally or if they if they have the conversation. But I don't. I say this is a solution, but I don't think it's a solution that'll ever be enacted. I have to say. Airbnb has changed my life. I just love staying in Airbnbs. Like in about a month, I'm going to Cocoa Beach, which is right next to Cape Canaveral. I'm going to watch some rocket launches. I'm going to, of course, be staying in a very nice Airbnb on the beach. And it's just such a great experience. Like the whole world is available to us now because of Airbnb. But whenever I'm at an Airbnb, I always realize, you know, I the home that I left to come to this Airbnb, I could be making money on that right now by hosting and and being an Airbnb myself. So, and I've known people, I had a friend who basically, you know, made a living from turning his home into an Airbnb. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, you do have an Airbnb there. And it's an e it can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The famous Abraham Lincoln quote says, good things come to those who wait. 
I wonder, did he really say that? Jay, did he really say that? Can you look that up? Regardless of who said it, that's only part of the quote. The full quote is, good things come to those who wait, but only the things left by those who hustle. Well, if you're a business owner and want the best people on your team, the same applies. And listen, I've interviewed 1,500 people now and a lot of entrepreneurs. I can safely say the one thing consistent among all entrepreneurs and CEOs, the the successful ones, is that it's all about the people you surround yourself. You, if you hire well, you're going to have a great business. And you know, thankfully, ZipRecruiter puts the hustle in your hiring, so you find qualified candidates fast. This is so important, and I, I want you to try it. You could try it as a potential employer or employee. You could try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter's smart technology finds top talent for your roles right away. Immediately after you post your job, if you're hiring, ZipRecruiter's matching technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I will tell you that I signed up on ZipRecruiter as a potential employee. You know, I just wanted to see how it works. And right away, it started matching me with really amazing potential employers. So give it a try at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Let ZipRecruiter give you the hiring hustle you need. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash James to try it for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. So what's another problem? Um, well, there's 99 problems. <laughs> or it's a but, uh, no, but I'm trying, to, like, I'm trying to think of um, what are some other problems out there? Overcrowding? Oh, oh, I mean, oh, well, yeah, no, wait, well, but that's been I mean, discussed on the podcast. Oh, that, that we've discussed. Okay. Um, you, you bring up honesty, and we've yeah. talked a lot about uh, free speech with people like Jordan Peterson, yeah, that's, Sam Harris. Yeah, that's a great one, yeah. And, and what we're seeing now is that, uh, of course, Everybody says, of course, you are allowed to have free speech, and yet you can't. If well, you if you say a political opinion, you 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 free you you can say whatever you want, but you're not free of consequences. So if you say a political opinion that everyone around you disagrees with, they will punish you for it. Well, you've talked about, I believe you talked about Jamie Kilstein. I mean, I think what you're talking about also is a culture of canceling culture. You wrote about Louis C.K. And trying out jokes. I mean, as a comedian, trying out jokes in private, right? So I think that's probably a problem. You know, just this culture of, you know, you saw we talked about like at Evergreen University with uh, Brett Weinstein. We yeah, talked to his just the idea of conformity of public opinion, and I believe you touched on it with Sam Harris about espousing opinions that aren't great. Uh, or that aren't perceived that well, and how do you deal with it? And we saw it with the Oscars, with Kevin Hart. You saw it with Louis C.K. Yeah, yeah. So Kevin yeah. Hart, what what was the exact issue? Because I never, I don't read the news. Ten really years know. ago, he had said he had made jokes about if his son were gay, he wouldn't want to, you know. And he made homophobic remarks. So clearly, that's a joke, right? Like, yeah, he, he nobody would say. I would never. Nobody would say. Oh, if my kid... But he put it on Twitter. It wasn't just up on stage. But yes, I, I believe he was... Right, so, okay, facetious. let's even say he was wrong. Yeah, yeah. Okay, he, let's say he was yeah. ethically wrong and it was hateful. His speech was almost the equivalent of a hate crime, whatever. Or let's say it incited people because he's such an inspiration to many uh, right. people. Let's just say it's just dark and evil. It was... And, 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 and it's 10 years ago... The Oscars said, we don't want you. Or no, he, the Oscars, uh, because of the heat, He, the Oscars was criticizing him and then he dropped out, right? Is that what happened? He dropped out and he he clumsily handled it. You know, he was defiant. And, and later on, like Ellen DeGeneres tried to get him to reconcile. And I don't think he handled it adroitly. He probably would admit as much. And, and then that, I think yeah. the Oscars wanted him back, right? They did want him back. And, and I just think he was sort of like, you know what? I've moved on. I'm sorry. You know, he did a, you know, an interview well, with which, Michael Strand. He's like, which I'm not apologizing. I'm done already. Don't which talk about it. itself was, I don't want to say it was disingenuous because it was not. He he was done. But what, what 
giving him the benefit of the doubt, what I learned afterwards was that the Oscars doesn't pay these guys yeah. and it takes six weeks of work and that guy can make tens of millions of dollars in six weeks. So, uh, yeah. uh, well, they might pay like $15,000 for six weeks of work. And that's yeah. essentially what Jimmy Kimmel said. Like it's sort of a thankless task. You're going to divide all these people. It's a lot of work and you, it's really a, is really a hard situation to win because if you have a very anesthetized kind of performance and everybody's like, you have no bite. If you say some things that are risque, Seth MacFarlane did it years ago when he made his kind of jokes. Dave, David Letterman. People. Yeah, uh, James Franco didn't the, like the, the world on fire. The, the only <laughs> Oscar guy they ever yeah. liked is uh, Billy Crystal. Yeah, for sure. But, but I, uh, just by coincidence, yeah. and it has nothing to do with any of my other activities, I met with the guy who, who produced the Oscars the day oh, wow. after the Oscars. Oh, wow. And he said it was just great just having everybody hand off the mic to the next person. Oh, wow. Like, so yeah. they might start and the doing ratings that. were kind of up for it, yeah. But 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 here's the real problem I see is is not so much the free speech is that people label themselves in a group they, they and then and they, they become this group politics, thing. Yeah. yeah. So let's say you say you're a conservative, or let's say you say you're a feminist, or let's say you say you're pro-choice or pro-life. Now, you I find two things. One is you hate everybody who disagrees with you, but you're not always honest about your own actions like oh i need to make an exception here about my beliefs sure so 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 i'll hate you for all of your beliefs against mine but when i have to switch my beliefs i it's just a special situation and i i have this one story which i've never spoken about on the, on the podcast but a friend of mine um labels herself a feminist and uh heard of a story where uh a friend of hers and a, a former boss of hers uh, basically, and I, I don't know who, who this was, otherwise I'd, I'd be more frank with the names, but uh, basically uh, this person beat the hell out of his wife, hired a doctor to sew the wife up uh, privately because he's a well, it was a well-known person apparently. And, uh, uh, and then threatened, and then the doctor said to the wife, you need to divorce him or I'm going public with this. And then the guy... Uh, uh, threatened the doctor, called her husband, and said oh, wow. the doctor's cheating yeah. on him. Um, left bad Yelp reviews anonymously for the doctor. Uh, and then I said to my friend, the feminist, "So are you gonna still go to his party?" And she was like, "Yeah, he gave me my first job. You know, I kind of have to go." Right. And I'm like, "You know, you can't call yourself a feminist and go to the party." of sure. uh, the guy the 40th year birthday party of the guy who beat the shit out of his wife like that's not feminist behavior it's really sure. opposite of feminist behavior and she literally thought i was mentally ill for not calling her a feminist like she because there's yeah. some kind of bias when you group think is a cognitive bias and it so strongly confirms your identity that you can't handle when somebody says no you're not behaving in that way well it's more about belonging to the group and feeling like you're part of that affiliation rather than holding up those ideals. You know, and that happens with a lot of people. Like, you know, you've seen that over years. Like, you call yourselves Christians? Shouldn't, shouldn't Jesus say, turn the other cheek or be charitable? And so I do think that happens a lot where, yeah, there's a lack, of, there's a dissonance there because people never feel like, well, that's not me. And yeah, I think we have to be more mindful. We just talked about it with people who are like, no, let's be fair, don't cheat. And then privately they do that. And we see that in all areas, you know, so there's a yeah. mild degree of hypocrisy. I mean, what you're speaking of is hypocrisy, lack of self-awareness, the old, how come everybody drives faster than me is a lunatic and everybody drives slower than me is a cripple, you know? So and, we, and, yeah. and, and like politics is kind of an interesting social experiment. I mean, we've seen so many cases where yeah. a Senator will say, uh, oh, there should be no gay marriage. Yes, get gay this, gay that, and then it turns out they're arrested for uh, yes. Uh, yes. kind of uh, you know having sex with guys in public or whatever. Yes, like so, so, and and people thought, oh, this is isolated. This high end of hypocrisy is isolated to politics. So, for instance, I just read a study where um, the theory was politicians cheat on their spouses more than in other professions like more than lawyers or doctors. And um, so they did the study on politicians, lawyers, and doctors. And it turns out it's exactly similar. Oh, wow. So so because the theory was if you're in a position of power and, and you have more opportunity, potentially you're going to cheat more. 
but it turns out it's across the board. People are dis- yeah. dishonest, even though sure. even if they say it's your face, they're honest. But I, I was pretty. I found your example of that person who was that vicious and a horrible human being. You know, look, a lot of people will talk about that, right? Like just what you said in politics, where it could be presidential people from a certain party, and if your person does it, and there's, you know. And you, we see that now in a divided country, you know? So you're right. I mean, what you're speaking about is the problem of identity politics and this person's on our team, so that's okay, you know? Um, right, and, there, and there's there's a passage in the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. So he was a, a prominent writer and he got sentenced to Siberia and then he wrote about it in the Gulag Archipelago. He quotes a newspaper from 1920s Russia, which basically says, it doesn't matter if you're guilty or innocent of the crime, if you belong to the yeah. bourgeois class. So and that's identity politics at an early communism, and now we're seeing it here. Well, we, yes, and George Bernard Shaw said, you know, patriotism is believing your country is the best just because you haven't been born there, you know? And I think that, you know, which is, which is a cognitive bias, availability yes, bias. But I also think like, in which we all have to train ourselves to some degree to call balls and strikes and to say, okay, we might not like President Trump or you know, Hillary Clinton, but you have to admit this thing is pretty good that they're doing. Or, you know, and I think you know, uh, I might support Jesse Smollett, but what he did was pretty freaking horrible to make up a crime to make himself the victim. So you have to, and I think if certain stations on that side of your MSNBC and you didn't cover it that much, I think shame on them, you know, like, like you and, know. And, and yet, yeah. and you know, it's funny. Or Fox or the other things for not covering things that might be detrimental to their cause. And, and again, that brings up the problem of it's a divided country and people are not looking for information, looking for affirmation. You're watching it to get the dopamine hit of saying, yes, they're right, let's get them. And, you know, so it's different. You're not really objectively looking for truth. Yeah, so, so okay. So and uncomfortable that, truths. You know? I think I think I think this is such a huge problem. You could do ten podcasts yeah. in, in a row about it and still not come up with a solution. I think the solution is, like you say, kind of being aware of, uh, that you might be yeah. wrong. But people just have a hard time with it. I, I don't totally agree with Daniel yeah. Kahneman as much yeah. as I hate to disagree with the Nobel Prize winner and a guy who's done fifty years of research on this. Maybe there's a five percent chance we can sometimes get over these cognitive biases. I think Sam Harris so essentially agreed what, on the, our podcast. The listener, what does Daniel Kahneman say about cognitive bias? I mean, he, he feels like it's inevitable that we're kind of helpless. Yeah, it's like George, George Bernard Shaw. Yeah. You think your country's the best because you're born yeah. in it, because uh, you have patriotism. Uh, that's just luck of, of yeah. the universe that you were born in the U.S. Yeah. versus the, the, the Germany. And um, But no matter where you're born, people seem to like yeah. their country the best and or think their country is the best. And so that's a cognitive bias. Yeah, oh, yeah. You know, or 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 oh, or what my friend was experiencing with with um, me suggesting she might not be a feminist. That was her group think it's inconceivable. Or 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 if if you if you believe so strongly that you know an education is important for kids, if you suggest there might be nuances to this, like about the rise in student loan debt, that maybe it doesn't take four years to acquire skills right. to succeed that uh, maybe accredited degrees is a yeah. scam. Um, and now we see, you know, these admission scandals, you'll have a cognitive bias saying, no, 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 education. You'll just say education is good. You won't even listen to yeah. the the data. So, so, but I, but I think there, or, you know, here's another cognitive bias. Um, if, if all of my friends say um, a political candidate's good, I'm a, I'm more likely to listen to my friends and to listen to strangers. I'll sure, probably sure. think that candidate's good without knowing anything about the candidate. And and bringing back it to Roger McNamee, he was talking about the filter bubble that exists on Facebook. So that let's say you were already preconditioned to these groups, then they'll just keep ratcheting it up so you stay on longer, and that you feel validated and you feel incentivized to keep on there because they're telling you how correct you're on the right path and there are more people like you so it right. only intensifies right and that I, kind of group thing those those filter bubbles lead to a kind of weird in what's called in-group out-group bias so a great example i always think if you've seen the movie eight mile with eminem sure. he's in the final battle he's battling you know he's the only white guy and there's all these yeah you know black people african-americans yeah. um 
who have to kind of decide who's going to win the rap battle. And he's right. he's he's battling someone who seems like he belongs to the group of the audience. Yes. You know, they're all African-American. And so he has to figure out how to make the audience in his group sure. and his opponent in the out group because people want to vote in group and they want to reject out group. Right. So what he does is very smart. He does his research. He realizes his opponent is is middle class instead of lower class. So he changes the groups. He says... You know, one of the lines is everybody in the 313, uh, put your motherfucking hands up and follow me. And everybody there lived in the 313 area code, which is, you know, lower right. class Detroit. The other guy was not in the 313 area code. The kid was in 248. Yeah. <laughs> 248. That's yeah. right. I, uh, that's Detroit. Yeah. I mean, and no wonder, right. whenever I get numbers yeah. from 248, it's usually yeah. from my friend. My my white upper middle class friend, yeah. on the other <laughs> um, side of eight mile. So 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 that's the thing with cognitive biases is that even when you're aware, if you're not aware of them, you're totally gonna yeah. be dominated by them. But even if you're aware of them, I only give it like a five percent. You can move the needle well, a little bit, I think. But the rapper Brand Nubian said, "Sometimes a brother is not a brother." You there, know? there you go. But you, you have to be aware of that. Yeah. You have to be aware of that line in order to be suspect. Sure. I sure. think you have to, skepticism has to be learned. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and I've had some good mentors in this because by studying the financial markets, knowing when to go against the crowd makes you the most money. So it took a long time of studying how to go against the crowd. And a lot of it I had to do through computer software. So like I remember when I was first doing this, it was almost a common joke. If if a company had a drug, which it just they just found out caused brain aneurysms, yeah. those were usually the best investments because <laughs> the stock would go down 40% in a day. Wow. And I would buy it and they would bounce. Uh, just, the, uh, just the data would show. So I had to go over, every, I couldn't say, forget it, I'm not investing in this company, it's sure. going to zero. The data suggested, oh no, they're gonna have a 10% bounce within the next four days almost every time and so i would invest and uh you know i had to use data and software to overcome my biases oh interesting yeah no for sure and i also look obviously people go on a limb that's where the fruit is you have to you know do things that other people don't do otherwise you know seth godin the guest of the podcast talks about that a lot about just being safe and by the shores and really going to get you. No, no. Like I always say to people, if you're not like, like somebody sent me uh, uh, some writing and said, Hey, can you please look at my article that I wrote on LinkedIn? And I did. And he said, send me any comments. And I was, I, I don't think I was rude. I was, I, but I was honest with him. I said, his article was something like 10 lessons every leader needs to know. And I, and there was no story. There was just the lessons. Yeah. And 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 I said, look, this is no good because I need to know how what you did wrong that you needed, you weren't born knowing these lessons. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You, yeah. You, and you didn't start off being a leader, and you were right. amazing. You were the right. one in a billion that was the best leader in the world. You had to learn these through failing and correcting yourself, and failing and correcting yourself. What Anders Ericsson, who has been on our podcast, calls deliberate yeah. practice. Tell us the stories, and that's how we're going to learn now because. Because right now I can't remember any of his lessons, but if he had told me some stories, maybe I would have. To his credit, he thanked me. I don't know if he ever rewrote anything or anything, but he, I hope he didn't take it personally. Um, I had another no, example. But I, right, but, you have to show him how you got to the top of the mountain, not just, hey. Well, well and a lot of it too is like, you know, we had Roy Niederhofer, a hedge sure. fund manager on the podcast, super smart guy. Um, he and I both worked for a hedge fund manager um, that really encouraged us to test, test, test. Do not make an investment unless you're testing all of your premises underneath it. And that was drilled into me. And that's how you test, uh, that's how you get rid of biases Ray, by Ray testing. Ray Dalio talks about that with radical, we've had on the podcast about yeah. radical honesty and stress testing all your ideas, not being afraid to be wrong, which brings us back to your point about uh, self-identified feminist like don't be afraid to say oh you know maybe i'm not as much of you know kind of like that woman who had a vegetarian restaurant and then you saw the like food she was eating that was clearly not vegetarian right right know? uh and all right so what's another problem in society that we've may or may not have solutions or or if they do have solutions probably won't be listened to but we've we've sort of seen on this podcast um, we haven't talked to anybody. I mean, we're all fearful. Like, think about our fears, right? Fearful 
of nuclear war, you know, and that ratcheting up less so than, I mean, we weren't around during the Bay of Pigs and all that where people were going under desks. But I think war is a concern or being drafted if you have kids of draft age and just escalating tensions, whether it's- Yeah, so think about this. Yeah, There's probably more wars in the world now being fought than ever, but like, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and in different ways. And, and nuclear weapons are so much more powerful than in 1965 when we yeah. were ducking under desks, or you yeah. are, not me. No, no, I'm just saying, you're younger than me. And, um, uh, uh, but uh, uh, it, that's called availability bias, yeah. which is what you see in the news is what yeah. you're going to be concerned about. It's why if we see, oh, another girl, uh, her leg was bitten off by a shark, we suddenly yeah. think there's this huge shark problem all of a sudden on the coast of Florida. Oh, global warming's bringing all the sharks closer and they're hungrier yeah. and they're going to eat humans. But actually there's less shark attacks than ever. Yeah. It's just, it's in the news. So we think it's a big concern. Nuclear war is a far greater concern. There's so many rogue nations now with potential nuclear weapons and nuclear science and capabilities. Uh, there, there's almost no way to avoid the problem and yet we don't think about it. We think about climate change instead, which again, I have no idea about the science or whatever, but it seems to me I'm much more fearful of a nuke going off somewhere than I am that Manhattan next year is going to be underwater. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. But, yeah. but again, that's an availability bias thing. What's, but what's, what's it's also, a, um, yeah, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, it's kind of like the whole idea of Schrodinger's cat where once the cat once you knew that it was dead, it became dead to you. Like what you didn't know doesn't really, I guess in some cases, like what you don't know doesn't hurt you is what essentially yeah. there. Um, but, but it does suggest though that the, the, the media can influence, uh, but it's a, it's a two-edged sword, I guess, because we're telling the media what we like to read and the media is telling us what we should be concerned about. But what's, what's a problem that's come up on the podcast? Yet another one that's come up on the podcast that, that you know, because everybody has issues Sure. Oh, the reason I brought up the guy's writing sample is that uh, you have to say something outside of the common conversation or else you're not saying something new. And, and then there's no point in writing. You have to be afraid before you hit publish or else you're, not, or, or else you're simply saying something that someone has said before. And so we know we've had a lot of people on the podcast that have addressed issues that have not been said before. Uh, so, you know, what, what, are, what are some interesting ones? Um, you know, we've talked about a couple here. Uh, I'm just trying to think of if you take, like, if you, I'm, I don't know what you're, you're looking at any random guest. They probably brought up some issue about um, Jay. What do you, what do you think? Any, about, any guests that have brought up, or or Robin? Any guests that have brought up any random issue that that made us worried or afraid, or there wasn't a solution? Right, so we, we're we're getting availability bias because Roger McNamee and Sam Harris were our last two podcasts. What, what, we, what kind of stuff were you thinking? I mean, we talked about Floyd Landis and athletics. We talked about steroids, college, yeah. data, uh, um, cognitive biases, groupthink. You talked well. You talked about the finances. I mean, the difference between the haves and the have-nots, and that. Yeah, we talked about income inequality. But, um, I'm just trying to think of privacy, which is related to data. Um, what, did, what you know? We talked about. Eddie Ibanez, who's been under anything that he's told you alarm you? Yeah, yeah. So, so the idea that, uh, you know, when I say there's more wars that that are, that are being fought than ever, it's true. Particularly if you don't look at guns and bullets, if you look at like cyber warfare, basically every country is fighting every other country right now. Like everybody's trying to bring down everybody's electric grid. Yeah. So, as an example, Eastern Europe. They have very sophisticated electric grids powering their countries, but what's not sophisticated is the routers connecting the smart grids are still, they might be routers from the 90s, which have known security flaws. And so other countries are hacking um, those, those routers and battles like that are happening every single day. You know, that those types of battles, not just hitting routers, but all sorts of, you know, security flaws are being and, and cognitive flaws yeah. within the within computers are being and computer networks are being hacked. And uh, so cyber warfare is this huge issue where there is no there also is no solution. And you know, I'm not sure if we talked about it with Gary Kasparov, who friend of the program, yes, fellow chess prodigy. So on the podcast <laughs> twice. <laughs> um, um 
you know, it, to a lot of people, when the names Kasparov and Altusher are used about chess in the same breath, it's usually that Altusher. He's no Kasparov, you know, but, <laughs> um, true. but, but I'm the first one. are still pretty amazing at chess. No, I'm, I'm no pretty amazing. And um, it's been great getting to know him, but he's made that a mission of his, correct? Like, you know, just uh, like cybersecurity and just trying to, to deal with the perils of it. Yeah. And, and I think at a very, easy way is being solved at the corporate level. So right now, here's what's happened to every Fortune 500 company is that pretty much almost all of them have been invaded by what's called bot armies, meaning um, a virus gets into your email, you open it, the virus spreads to everybody else in the company you send emails to. And what a bot army is, is these tiny pieces of software. I'm calling them tiny. It's not really, but you can think of it this way. It's tiny pieces of software sitting on your computer on the computer, there's no way to get rid of them. The only way to get rid of them is to throw out your computer. And uh, they, you know, everybody wonders, well, how could uh, this Facebook post or this Twitter post get thousands of likes from all over the world? How could it be so these hacks be, or yeah. how could these companies get these denial of service attacks from all over the world? Uh, uh, it's because these bot armies are coming from all over the, the world uh, and so you can't block any one computer. You have to block billions of computers and then new computers yeah. will start up. And, and so that's the role of these bot armies is to kind of wage these wars and attacks on uh, big websites or Facebook, Twitter, whatever. And so, the, so cyber warfare, and that was just one example of it, or I gave two examples of it. Um, cyber warfare can't be stopped. There, there's no way. And then companies like VMware or there's companies like Checkpoint, security com big security companies, big storage companies, Dell, EMC. Kaspersky or whatever. Yeah. No, Kaspersky, you can't trust this is a Russian-made company. But uh, so, so government employers are not yeah. allowed to use Kaspersky software. Um, but uh, these battles, the bad guys are always smarter. I once asked a company, um, and I think I've talked about that, this on the podcast. I once asked a company whose job was to fight these bot armies. I said, how come you can't? Solve the problem, and he and he, this and it was all PhDs in this company. This guy said, "No matter how smart we are, they're always smarter." Wow! And that bringing it full circle, like that's what happens with the abusers on the Olympics and all that. The the cheaters are usually smarter, you know, like they they're yeah, like that Russian guy, uh, yeah. the, the doctor who who kind of revealed yeah what he and does. The movie Icarus, you know, Brian Fogel, like yeah, yeah, and they, yeah, it was the same thing. And yeah. uh, and then Floyd Landis talks about how. They'll find a part of the path on the on the Tour de France where nobody, there's no media, wow. and Lance Armstrong or he didn't. Yeah. I don't know if he said Lance Armstrong. I don't want to say it. the biker would pull over in some sh yeah. you know, area where you can't see by helicopter. There's a guy waiting with a needle. Kate takes a quick wow. injection. It's only for 15 minutes. It stays in the bloodstream, so it can't be detected later. Wow. And boom, he's off. So 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 bad actors. Are always going to be be ahead is, of the good. Actors. Is virtue its own reward? I'm going to say yes. Uh, so we could. <laughs> well, yes. okay, and we've talked about this. Yeah. Uh, so here's a problem that I've had personally. So I I had a, an idea a year and a half ago. So I've been involved in Bitcoin and crypto since about 2013. I built a store in 2013 to sell my book Choose Yourself before I released it. Uh, at first, in 2013 or 2012, I was a skeptic. Naval Ravikant has been on the podcast in 2013, convinced me otherwise, and then I became a strong believer. In mid-2017, I had a philosophy and belief about Bitcoin, and I also believed that 95% of cryptos would be obsolete uh, because they were scams. I said this on CNBC in, in mid-2017. But I started doing all these ads that were very uh, intense, let's put it that way. And so people who never even read the product and never really verified whether I was good or bad, thought I was bad because of these aggressive ads. And so, yes, virtue is its own reward, but I had so many people literally giving me death threats because of these ads. And there's a video by Alain de Baton, the philosopher, who we have booked for this podcast, but he's never actually come on. Um, there's a there's a video he made, uh, nice guys need to use Machiavellian tactics. And his point is, if, if, if there is a scammer advertising a product and a nice guy advertising a product, the nice guy can't just say, hey, I'm the nice guy, buy my product. The scammer is using all the cognitive biases and tricks in the book. Sure. You've got to use their tricks. 
even if you're the nice guy. Wow. And, and so I don't know how you, I don't know how you personally solve that problem. If you're the nice yeah. guy and you have a good product that you believe in, but you have to use these techniques to sell, and then everybody hated me. I had I was because yeah. I had a good product and because the ads were so aggressive, I was they were everywhere. And and I would get all these magazines were saying, Who is this? But idiot? I do think, okay, but I think that look, in life we all have trust and attention, right? We have people's trust and attention. And we all have to maintain it. Like when we do this podcast, we have to be not about ourselves. We have to be about, we have their trust. Their, we appreciate all you listeners out there for listening. Maybe your attention and we want to maintain it. So in your case, yeah, despite the, you know, come on of some of those approaches, you're giving good information. You're, you, yeah. you're doing it with integrity. 95% of Bitcoins yeah. or cryptocurrencies yeah. did become yeah. obsolete. So, like I was correct. And we, and, and, and and I don't mean to advertise it now. Don't yeah, buy it. Yeah. You can read my articles. But uh, uh, I had to get the word out because I saw so many listeners buying some of these scams. So and like, and it costs money to do yes. this. It costs infrastructure. So you have to charge, and then you have to make ads, yeah. and you have to use, as Alain de Patan says, you have to use the Machiavellian tactics that the maybe not so good players are using. Sure, and I think, look, it, it speaks to what you were talking about. Um, with the steroids. Steroids with a lot of different areas. And look, we each have to make a covenant with ourselves to say, okay, what are we willing to do to get there? You know? Yeah, and, so, so and, and we'll, we'll close with this. Um, this podcast was ostensibly about problems without solutions that we've uncovered in this podcast over the past couple of years. I think we hit on four or five of them, maybe a little bit more. And then we talked in general about solutions that probably no one will follow. And and maybe we'll we'll go back to the drawing board, look back at our guests and see what other problems have been brought up. Yeah, but um All right. Good Thanks times, lot, James. Steve. Thank you. Podcast famous. Yeah. How long was that one? Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.